Today, I talk to Dr. Marilyn Gist. Marilyn is an author, speaker, and acclaimed researcher advancing knowledge on leader humility. I talked to her about her new book, The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility, Thriving Organizations, Great Results. On the most fundamental level, leaders must bring divergent groups together and forge a consensus on a path forward. But what makes this possible? Humility. A deep regard for the dignity of others is the key. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Exponential Organization podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. The purpose of this podcast is to bring you thought leaders from around the world, giving input into how you and your organization can grow exponentially. This show is sponsored by Ideastorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy. They can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 6,500 consultants worldwide through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. So visit www.ideastorm.co.za to find out more. Won't you do me a favor? If you like this podcast and you get value from it, won't you subscribe and tell others about it? That would really help the podcast. On with the interview. Today, our guest is Marilyn Gist. As an author, speaker, and educator, Marilyn held the Boeing Endowed Professorship of Business Management at the University of Washington. Later, as Associate Dean at Seattle University, she started the Center for Leadership Formation and led the EMBA degree from its inception to rank number 11 in the nation by U.S. News and World Report. Building on her leadership and research experience, she is advancing knowledge in the power of leader humility, the tendency to feel and display a deep regard for others' dignity. Dr. Just received the 2017 Distinguished Faculty Award granted by the Alumni Board of Governors and was named Professor Emerita in 2019 by Seattle University's president. Her book, The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility, Thriving Organizations, Great Results, is what we're speaking to Marilyn about today. On the fund- fundamental level, leaders must bring divergent groups together and forge a consens- consensus on a path forward. But what makes that possible? Humility, a deep regard for the dignity of others, is the key. So I started by asking Marilyn where she lives and then asked to give us a bit of a background on her career to date. I'm in the U.S. in Seattle, Washington, so far corner of the world from yeah, you. <laughs> that's right. My wife actually went to Seattle on an exchange as an exchange student, so she spent about two or three months in Seattle. So I started out uh, in basically working for the government for NASA, and then in private industry as a manager, and then. Uh, along the way, decided to go back to get my doctorate and move to higher education. And I've been in higher ed for the last few decades. And mm. most of that time, I've been both teaching in and running executive degree programs, both at University of Washington. Uh, I was at UNC Chapel Hill teaching in them before I went to University of Washington. And then later at Seattle University, where I uh, built and grew the leadership executive MBA program uh, to number 11 in the country, according mm. to U.S. News and World Report. So I've had a wonderful career working with business and government managers and leaders uh, from mid to senior levels for the most part. I then asked Marilyn about her new book, The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility. And what brought Marilyn to writing the book? And if she could tell us a little bit about it. 
Sure. So um, I mentioned I've been working in higher ed in executive programs. And one of the joys of that is meeting leaders from all sectors and also all industries within the business sector. Uh, and you hear lots and lots of unsolicited comments about the organizations they work for, the leaders they work for. Uh, and when you're you know, there for years, you get people who come from some of the same organizations repeatedly. And so you pick up on themes as you listen to these, you know, mid-career talk. They're typically in their 40s and 50s. Mm. And you identify which organizations consistently send uh, people who make wonderful comments about their leaders and the culture. Uh, and then organizations I won't name who you repeatedly hear very, very <laughs> negative about. Uh, and then sometimes you even hear it vertically where someone's talking about their boss uh, who may have come the year before or who comes a couple years later and you see how these behaviors show up based on what you've heard before. Um, and I've made some mistakes on my own, to be honest, Lance. I, you know, when I was managing was certainly not perfect either. I like to think I learned from some of my own mistakes. But over time, what became clear to me is there's this one variable that is so essential that we don't recognize or talk about much, and that is leader humility, which, as you mentioned in the introduction, is the tendency to feel and display a deep regard for others' dignity. And when leaders have that, it drives a tremendous amount of engagement and enthusiasm uh, people bring their whole selves to the job, they give it all. Uh, and when they're missing that, we start to see certain types of dysfunction show up in the organization. Mm. And I'm not really the only person who's noticed it. Uh, Jim Collins back in uh, 2001, I believe it was, wrote the book Good to Great. Mm. And he did a longitudinal study of organizations and looking over time I think it was 15 years, at which organizations they had started out uh, being cared because they were all good and looking at which ones over time ascended to greatness as gauged by financial measures. And it turned out that the organizations that became great over that period of time were ones whose leaders were not charismatic necessarily. Uh, they simply had two traits, and the, the, both of them tended to have drive, meaning both types of organizations, the leaders had drive. But in the ones that became great, they also had humility. They mm. had a personal humility that people in the organization recognized and talked about. And even though in most cases, those leaders were not in the limelight, they weren't charismatic, but they just drew incredible commitment and uh, work, hard work, and great creativity out of their employees. So this is something we really need to pay attention to. <laughs> I then asked Marilyn why humility was such an important character trait in a leader. So let me start with the first question. Why is it so important? It's because we're all human, and as part of that, we have a sense of dignity or self-worth. And we all have that and we all need that. We need to preserve that. Healthy, healthy people, meaning normal psychology, healthy people 
are going to work to preserve their own dignity. So if a leader is stepping all over that, uh, what you'll find is that typically because the leader has power, people may not talk back, they may not challenge it, but they'll begin to withdraw and become disengaged because they feel offended. Now, the thing about dignity is that it really has a couple of powerful components. One is this, uh, the value of life itself, which, you know, at least in Western cultures, we, we talk about explicitly, whether that's through the Judeo-Christian tradition or through a set of laws that make killing. And, um, you know, we have debates in the States about the right to terminate your life if you're, you know, very, very ill and, and have a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And so so there's this notion that life itself is valuable, and most leaders get that. But another piece that they often ignore is that there's a personal component to dignity. And I think of this as everything that's kind of in my backpack that makes me a unique person and everything in your backpack that makes you unique. And so we're different people. And in that pack, there's some things that are, you know, they're, they're kind of like the uh, the treats that we don't care too much about one way or another. We, we, they're there, we have to carry them around, but they don't mean much. But there are a lot of other things in that pack that, that have some meaning for us. We have feelings about those, whether those are positive or negative. So it might be um, you know, demographic variables like race or sex, or um, you know, it could be physical attributes like height or weight or whatever. But if you, uh, it could be religion, it could be what uh, country you're from, uh, what economic status you have. Mm-hmm. So all of us have a whole package of things that describe us. And some of those things we will have uh, attachment to, we'll have feelings about. And if a leader makes disparaging comments about those things, our dignity is going to take a hit. And mm-hmm. that could be comments made in front of us or comments made to us directly. Uh, most of us have a certain amount of thick skin. If we hear in a case, you can't get through life without hearing criticism, right? Mm. The stuff that is about yeah. you. But if it's coming from someone in power, particularly if it's an egregious comment, a really serious negative comment, or if it's one that you hear over and over uh, from a certain person, you, can, you tend to figure, okay, I know who that person is. I get where they're coming from. I don't want anything to do with them. And so that's where it becomes really powerful for leaders to understand that they need to feel and display regard for others' dignity. Uh, so this notion of, you know, everybody has a right to define what it is about themselves that they feel uh, valuable. They feel is valuable. And as leaders, we need to simply honor that, dignify mm. that, if you will. To me, Sachin Dala from Microsoft seems to um, be a leader with humility. And I asked uh, Marilyn about this. I think so. I did not talk with Satya. I, I ended up interviewing a dozen CEOs of uh, large, well-recognized uh, companies I, I would have enjoyed talking with him, but I couldn't uh, seem to, to get on his calendar. Um, but my observations from the media of him and having heard him speak uh, face-to-face about a year or so ago, I guess, 
he really is a leader who displays that humility and it has energized the Microsoft culture in a great way. Mm. And you know, you talk about Steve Jobs and I've asked myself, why is it that there are these examples of leaders who uh, totally lacked humility and who were described as being, um, you know, sort of abrasive. abrasive. (laughs) And they dealt with people. And yet the companies like Apple were highly successful. And I think um, you'd sometimes get a pass on not having humility when you are the resident founder genius of something that is novel and exciting Mm -hmm. and people will come to work and they'll stay just to be a part of this new thing that we're launching, right? And so I think some companies like Apple and Microsoft in their early days uh, did well in spite of the fact that their leaders were not um, seen as humble. Now, mm. I'll give Gabe a little bit of a pass because I think his, his <laughs> latter-day uh, incarnation has certainly become much, much more humble than uh, he was described in his early years at Microsoft. Um, but I think mm. that's why those companies did well in spite of the fact that the, the founding leaders didn't have it. In Marilyn's book, The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility, she mentions three questions that people ask their leaders. Who are you? Where are we going? And do you see me? And I asked her the relevance of these three questions. To, um, as I said, employees in, uh, in my courses over the years, and they didn't necessarily ask them of the leaders, but those are the things on people's minds whenever they encounter a new leader, who is this person? Um, And that means I'm not interested just in the name, but who are you? What kind of person are you? You know, where are we going? What is it you want me to do? Um, And uh, and then how do you, you know, how do you see me? Which gets back to how they're treated. And I would tend to agree with you. The most important one for many people is do you see me? Um, I, I have less power than you, so it matters to me whether you see me and my interests and my needs. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you say that you, you mentioned, oh, sorry, did I interrupt you? Well, I was just going to comment that uh, what happens because people don't generally ask these questions out loud is they observe leaders. They listen to what leaders say and how leaders behave to form their own answers. So you get almost a mirror pattern where uh, in in response to the question of who are you as a leader, who I am as a person answers that. And if if you're around me, you know, week in and week out, it doesn't take you long to get a sense of, of who I am. Uh, In terms of where are we going, I'm going to set some direction. I'm going to set some goals, make some decisions. And over, again, over a reasonably short period of time, you begin to figure out where we're supposed to be going. Uh, And then the third thing in terms of, you know, do you see me is how I treat you. You know, how do I interact with you? What sorts of policies and practices do I put in place that are going to affect you? So the leader's uh, treatment of others uh, is actually a behavior set that uh, displays their humility or their lack of it. 
Quite a few CEOs have been featured in Marilyn's book, and I asked her to give us an example of a CEO with humility. Let me, let me mention too. So one of the people I um, interviewed, and I had the fortune of getting to know uh, Jim Senegal, who was the co-founder and CEO of Costco for many, many years, decades actually. Uh, and Costco would regularly send people through the program and they would be nominated through Jim's office. And uh, I got to know him and he was just an incredibly humble leader and over time, I would hear so many positive stories uh, where people just loved the company. They gave it their all. They often talked about Jim. They would say things like, he doesn't even have a reserved parking space. Now, here's wow. a company that's gone global, 240,000 uh, employees plus, And yet here was a CEO who didn't even have a reserved parking space, uh, who often answered his own phone. Someone, the first time I contacted him, uh, he picked up the phone and said, Senegal, and I was waiting for an assistant uh, to answer. (laughs) He said to me, well, Marilyn, I don't always answer my own phone. Sometimes I'm busy. But if I happen to be sitting there, uh, I will. Um, One of the fascinating things about Costco, if you look at organizational performance, they have grown enormously. They've obviously been wildly successful, and yet they don't advertise. Uh, They don't have a budget for that. What they rely on is providing a, a great culture so that employees give their all. They resolve problems. Their renewal rate for memberships is extremely high. Mm. Um, just deliver value for the culture. And as a result, they get a lot of positive media attention, but they don't advertise. Mm. So that to me was a big takeaway in looking at leader humility. Another example is Alan Mulally. And I actually had Alan uh, guest author a chapter in the book because he evolved something he calls the working together management system. And I thought he would describe it better than I would, Uh, but he evolved that at Boeing. He worked on every airplane program there was at Boeing and was uh, CEO of uh, Boeing commercial airplanes before he left. He'd been uh, president of the defense side, Boeing uh, information space and defense systems as well. And over his years as a manager, he developed this working together management system. When he left Boeing to go to Ford as CEO of Ford, he uh, adapted the system to Ford. And he took over Ford when they had just lost $17 billion that year. Uh, And it was the height of the Great Recession. He turned that company around several hundred thousand people globally without any federal bailout money he did it by using his working together management system. And it's a system that's founded on leader humility. They're a set of uh, what Alan calls expected behaviors that for him, they're almost sort of like, I would say this, this is not him speaking, but I'd say they're almost like the 10 commandments to him. And it's about people first, uh, love them up. Everybody is included respect, honor, you know, trust each other. Sure. Uh, a, I mean, it's just amazing. But for him, those expected behaviors are things he holds himself accountable for. And he holds all of the leaders in his organization accountable for using those same behaviors 
on their team as leaders, but also with the people beneath them. Uh, so this system is so founded in leader humility, and it has just led to phenomenal results when he was at the helm, both at Boeing and Ford. Marilyn has a fantastic website called MarilynJust.com, and I'll have the details in the show notes. I asked Marilyn, what can we expect if we go and visit that website? Well, there's some introductory material around leader humility uh, and what the keys are, what the six, what I call the keys to leader humility. This goes back to those three questions and the way in which a leader's actions and behaviors provide answers. Uh, But then under each of those uh, sets of behaviors, are really a couple of buckets that have proven to be most important. So if I think about who I am as a leader, who am I, what people want to know, there are really two types of things that are most important. One is what I call ego balance, where in order to respect your dignity, I have to have a balanced ego. I need to feel confident as a leader, but I can't stray into arrogance. Arrogance becomes very self-focused, whereas to respect your dignity, I have to have a focus on you. I have to be more other-focused. So ego balance is an important part of it, and robust integrity is another piece. Uh, You know, can I be trusted to do what I say I'm going to do? Uh, is my word consistent um, from time to time and with how I act? So those are two of the big pieces, biggest pieces, I think, when it comes to um, who I am. And then if I look at the part about the direction I set, uh, we're looking at vision and strategies. The strategies need to be ethical. Most people get that, uh, mm. although I once asked to do something by a supervisor that was illegal. And when I told him that, he said, don't forget who's paying your check these days. So it's not yeah. beyond the role of leaders to shade uh, things occasionally and expect people to do things that are unethical. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part though, sort of even before that, is coming up with a vision that in my view is compelling. And the, the way, The way I differentiate compelling vision is it needs to address all stakeholders. It has to um, provide for benefits or growth for all stakeholders, not just one group uh, Mm. or a couple of groups and ignore others. So it really becomes compelling when everybody is, you know, is inside the, uh, the circle and is going to benefit. So that's uh, tied to the direction I said. And then finally, in terms of how I treat you, we're we're looking at um, generous inclusion. And here, you know, lately in the U.S. with lots of uh, demonstrations around race relations, Mm -hmm. social justice issues, we talk about inclusion in terms of diversity. But I, I mean it much more broadly than that because, again, it goes back to who are all of your stakeholders and are you including uh, all of those groups when you're having important discussions that are going to impact them? So Mm -hmm. generous inclusion means really embracing uh, all of your stakeholders so that they are seen on the inside of how you're doing business. And then the final piece being developmental focus that you care about 
their long-term development needs. And this is particularly true with employees so that you're not transactional and thinking about, well, you do have a job to do and I'm paying you for it, so don't expect anything more. Uh, But where you care about where that person wants to go long-term and lend a hand when you can. But that too can extend to other stakeholders in terms of helping to make network connections, uh, demystifying some of how you're doing business, um, who they might need to talk to in order to have more success and so forth. So the website gives some very preliminary uh, introduction to those six keys. And of course, there's some information on where and how to get the book. Uh, There's also some information on me Uh, my background. And I also post a blog. In fact, I'll be putting out a post tomorrow. Uh, And for anybody who signs up on the website, that'll be delivered directly to your email address. Uh, But I blog on topics uh, related to leader humility and offering some deeper insights and tips than I tend to post once or twice a week. Thank you. Thank you. I have been blogging for a couple of years almost now. So yeah, I guess it has been two years. I took a hiatus when I was thick into writing the book, but I, again, have just had so many examples that have come up from years of working with executive students that uh, it, it has been, you know, ripe for, <laughs> for some blogging. <laughs> um, Marilyn, if people would like to contact you, Uh, How should they do it? Can they get hold of you on LinkedIn or can they contact you via your website? How could people contact you? The the fastest way is probably an email, which is just Marilyn at Mm MarilynGist.com. And you can access that if you need spelling through the website. There's a tab that has, you know, under the about tab, uh, there's one that has contact information and that is the best. Some people do contact me through LinkedIn. I'm often running around so much that it could be several days before I pick up messages there, but email tends to hit me every day. So thank you, Marilyn, for joining us today. I've been speaking to Marilyn about her new book, The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility, and I thoroughly recommend you go out and buy it when it's available. Before I go, I just wanted to mention a new podcast that I found. It's by Alex Kentrovitz. I've actually interviewed him for on this podcast for his brilliant book, Always Day One. And he has a podcast called The Big Technology Podcast. And so here is a message from Alex Kentrovitz. Hello, Exponential Organizations listeners. This is Alex Kentrovitz. I've been a guest on the show, and I wanted to tell you about a new tech interview podcast called Big Technology Podcast. As a reporter in Silicon Valley, I've sat down with top tech executives from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg to Oracle's Larry Ellison, along with plenty of outside agitators. Now I want to bring you in the room for these conversations with a new interview each week. So subscribe to Big Technology Podcast, and you'll hear tough, honest, and nuanced conversations with the leading figures in the tech world. That's Big Technology Podcast, and you can find it in your podcast app of choice.